Welcome to the Church Podcast, talking all things ministry so you can do church better. I'm your co-host, Chris Wesley, joined by John Ronaldo. John, how's it going, buddy? It's good, man. Just really enjoying, I keep saying this each week, but I'm really enjoying summer right now. We have a lot of sunshine and a lot of heat right now in Vegas, and that means we're jumping in the pool quite a bit lately. So that's, uh, my kids love it. We're having a good time. Yeah, yeah. From what I uh, recall from looking at the weather conditions, it is in the 90 or actually breaking uh, into triple digits, huh? Like 100 degrees and, and so forth. Yeah, we've had some hotter days. It was, uh, it was uh, 108, 110, um, you know, as of recording of this about a week ago, but now it's kind of upper 90s, 100. It's really kind of perfect. Like, it's really just ideal. We're just having a great time. I really do love the weather here in Vegas. Everyone says, oh, it's so hot. I'm like, nah, it's good. I love it. Well, it's funny because uh, as people are, as this airs, my wife and I, we're actually, we're actually hanging out in Vegas while uh, this is airing, uh, probably recording uh, future podcasts and whatnot. But, um, you know, as uh, my wife and I were preparing for the trip, um, I said to her, oh my gosh, it hit, um, it's in the hundreds um, and it'll be in the 90s when we're there. And she's like, oh, it's popping up to the 90s. I was like, no, no, it's dipping down into the 90s. It's dipping down. And so um, that's about right. The only thing I I, I told her, although, you know, hot is hot, is uh, that at least there's not the humidity that we get here in the in the east, especially the the southeast. And um, I'm not going to complain compared to our Carolina, Georgian and Floridian listeners, but uh, yeah, it does get it does get uh, pretty humid around here. Um, I you know I I'm not a, a huge summer fan um, in regards to the weather wise. Uh, it is nice to you know have a little bit of the warmth and everything. Uh, I'm I'm a winter guy, but uh, you know like what can I say? There's uh, good things about the summer vacation. Uh, you know, there's uh, getting out and about. Um, when it comes to ministry, uh, there for me as a youth minister, there are camps. There are retreat experiences. Um, a huge thing that's also important is recruiting volunteers. And more importantly, uh, like most people, take the time in the summer to re-examine my ministry models, to re-examine the way that we're doing ministry. And if you had listened to our last episode, we started a, a three-part series um, that we're, we're going to be calling, uh, you know, uh, Building Intentional and Holistic Ministry Models. Um, and uh, and in this, uh, we want to talk about, it's based off of a workshop that I recently gave in the New York, Brooklyn, and Rockville Center Diocese uh, to their DREs and their youth ministers. But John and I thought it would be fun to sort of break down how do we create a holistic and intentional ministry, not just for youth, not just for children, but you know throughout the entire parish. And so last episode, we talked a little bit about creating the vision um, for people and also how to how to reach the people that we want to bring towards that vision. Yeah, that was really fun conversation. Again, if you didn't listen to the episode, I encourage you to do that. It's episode 86, uh, Building Holistic and Intentional Ministry Models, part one. And it was good because we talked about who's your audience, right? Who we're really reaching. But we talked a little bit about spiritual journeys, right? Where are people on their spiritual journeys? And what are the spiritual habits that we're hoping to instill in those that we're serving and having some conversation, having some intentional conversation around that at staff meetings with your volunteers and, and how do we go about doing that? Not as a siloed ministry like youth ministry here, but intentionally as an 
entire parish, how do we go about building these habits, uh, whichever habits that we choose? And I thought that was a really, really good conversation. So, okay. So we, we've talked about some of these initial pieces. Who is our audience? How do we start getting to know our audience, you know, in terms of relationship building? And then what are the habits? Chris, what's the next step? What are some of the things that we need to think about once we kind of know our audience, we're starting to name those habits? How do we start to make this happen? Right, right, right. So, you know, think of it as building Ikea furniture, you know, where you, you see on the floor model, you're like, that's what I want. And then you get the boxes and you're like, here are the materials. And now you've got to follow the instructions on building that. However, um, well, no, not however, like Ikea um, furniture, uh, the instructions can be helpful yet frustrating at the same time because they're not always clear. So if you, if you don't know what uh, I'm talking about, um, Ikea, uh, I, Ikea is, is, is international. So hopefully this does translate to most people, but it's a Swedish based uh, furniture company where they have the funniest names for things like chairs and, and tables and sofas and everything. Um, and it looks real simple to put together and you think you can, but halfway along you're, you're realizing you're missing something or, you know, it's, it, it doesn't make that sen- uh, much sense. So, Building a ministry model can feel easy if you have a clear vision, but it's not always easy. Sometimes there are things you have to tweak and and, uh, adjust along the way. And so when it comes to building an intentional ministry model, I think there's a couple of things that we have to look at. And the first thing is, can we build something sustainable? And and the reason uh, you wanna ask that question, can we build something sustainable, is because you don't wanna burn yourself out you know, uh, creating a ministry or running a ministry or maintaining a ministry. Now, John, I don't know, have you ever experienced burnout before um, in regards to running a ministry program? Yeah, I mean, and maybe not into the extreme sense, but for me, it was always about, I I need to do everything on my own. And that was always been my issue. I always thought I knew better. It was easier for me to just do as opposed to training other people. And so, yeah, I would get overwhelmed, but but more so than getting overwhelmed, I found that I can never get to the next level, right? I can never do the next things that I, I that I had vision for. I just right. couldn't do it because I did not, to your point, have a sustainable structure and how I use my team, uh, you know, to make some of this happen. And so, uh, yeah, that was a huge issue for me. And I can imagine that's reality for a lot of folks as we get stuck in the rut of how we go been doing this forever. Yeah. And, and you actually mentioned kind of the second part of it, which is also, and, and it can be interchangeable. It's like 1A and 1B, which is recruiting a team that sees the big vision, sees the big picture as well. And I think one of the, the problems that we face is we, we try to recruit a lot of people, but we don't have a sustainable model or we have a sustainable model, but in order to scale it and to grow it, we need more people to be a part of that. And so let, let, let's just focus on the sustainable model, right? So when I say sustainable, I say, um, I tell people, think about something that you can do and only you can do over and over and over again that's not gonna burn you out. And when it comes to at least youth ministry, this most simple model is, is run a small group, just run one small group. Uh, and, and so that's basically gathering six to eight you know, teenagers, um, figuring out, um, you know, basic curriculum, which you could subscribe to something. You could lo- use uh, Lexio Divino on the, on the daily readings. Um, it could be just downloading a bunch of uh, videos or podcasts. But design something that takes little to no effort yet has huge impact. And, and, and that's what a sustainable model is. 
then um, as you grow your, 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 your team and, and your resources and your budget, that's when you can start adding things onto that as well. So um, step 1A, I guess, you, again, is building that sustainable model. Uh, step two, um, or step 1B, uh, is recruiting people who see the big picture. Now, um, I think this is the biggest mistake uh, or the, the number one thing people overlook when they start out in a new position, right? Um, because you and I, we've started over again. And when you jump into that position, the first thing you want to do is start doing, right? You want to start creating, you want to start building, you want to start making all these promises that not necessarily, you don't, you're not trying to lie, but you can't guarantee you're going to fulfill them, right? Um, and so if, I think what's important for us in, um, in ministry is that we find people who agree with the vision that we're trying to create. And so that means sitting down with them, talking about some of the things we talked about in last session, which is who are we trying to reach? and where we're trying to take people in that journey. Um, and, and so recruiting that, that team of people. Over the years, time and time again, I shared, especially about my first ministry experience and how I started July 31st and we launched our ministry program. And it was a brand new ministry from scratch for, for youth and young adults. We launched it September 30th. And, and time and time again, I look back at that experience and I say, I think to myself, if I were to do it all over again, I would have spent, six months uh, getting to know people, getting to know the parish, recruiting people before I even did a single parish ministry. Now, I don't, I don't know at the time if my pastor, my associate pastor would have been open to that. That would have been an interesting conversation to have, you know, but, but I think your point is well taken. It's like, I, I did that. I rushed right into it because one, I thought I knew what needed to be done, you know, mm -hmm. and I thought I could do it, ramp it up very quickly. And we did okay. I mean, it was, it was successful, you know, for a short amount of time. Um, but I wish, I wish I could go back and, and have taken that time. Now, I wish also that I had learned my lesson because as I look back at how I've restarted ministries and started new roles, Again, it's the same thing. And, and this is probably a characteristic of many of you who are listening to this is that we're doers, right? We just want to go do, 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 do. We're action people. And that's a real great gift in a leader. Um, but, you know, I needed to stop. I needed to pause, create some vision, really be strategic about it and get to know the community a little bit more. Uh, and so there's nothing wrong with being a doer. But part of this is being a timeout and slow down and say, hey, Let's get people on board. Let's get to know people. Let's get to know the parish and, and bring the right people on board. As you mentioned, Chris, who are the people that have the vision? And now let me ask you this, Chris, you know, not everyone's going to have the same vision for ministry as I do. I, I'm a professional in this ministry world, as many of our listeners are. Um, you know, how can we expect a volunteer to maybe have the same vision? Is that an unrealistic expectation? Are, there out, are they out there? Or is part of our role to share with them the big vision uh, and, and get them to buy into some of the vision that we have? What are your thoughts around that? Well, I, I think one, we have to invite people into the conversation, which means we might have a vision, but we should allow people to influence our vision a little bit. Um, because um, especially if you're new to the area, someone might be there who understands the audience, understands the culture, um, and, and the burden that God's placed on, um, uh, or the, the, the passion that God's placed on their heart. Um, so I think sometimes we have to listen before 
we share our own vision. So I say step number one, when recruiting people who see the big picture, ask them about what their hopes and dreams are for the next generation or for um, men and women in their parish or that it is for the local church. And then use that information to figure out ways of articulating your vision to them. Because if you come in and you say, this is my vision and they disagree with it, it could create unnecessary conflict and tension right off the bat. And, and then plus you as the professional, um, whether it's part-time or full-time or even the lead volunteer, you can shut down their hopes and dreams just by speaking first. So be second to speak when, when inviting people to be a part of that bigger vision. Uh, the, in regards to if there is misalignment or, or anything like that, don't make promises to people to serve in your ministry or be a part of your ministry uh, until you feel comfortable with who they are. You know, and invite them to be a part of the conversation Invite them to definitely share their feedback. But before you start handing keys over to them or, uh, you know, responsibility over to them, you know, make sure that they are the right fit. Make sure they are people that you trust. And, um, and that means when you share with them your vision, you finally get to that point, see how they react to it. Um, if they push back in a way where it feels like they're not listening to what you're doing, then that's someone you don't want on your, on your leadership team. Um, that's not someone you necessarily want serving in your ministry, but definitely not on your leadership team. Uh, at the same time too, um, you know, if they are saying, um, you know, critiquing it, but also get really excited by it, then that's someone that you definitely want uh, a part of your team. Again, maybe not your strategic leadership team, but definitely a part of your team because you want enthusiasm because when you get to recruiting people, um, not just to serve in the ministry, but to join the adult small groups or to be a part of the children's ministry or to show up to your event. You want enthusiasm with all of your leaders because enthusiasm begets enthusiasm. So basically you want to um, um, have people who are sold out for, for the things that you're doing. So it's a lot of just meet and greet. It's a lot of conversations with people but, uh, and it might seem like it's a waste of time, but it really plants seeds. And once you get going, things will take off. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So what you're saying though, part of the process is that we need to be intentional about interviewing our volunteers uh, and spending the time to get to know them. Now that requires a mind shift for us, for many of us in ministry, because I think a lot of us in ministry, and I would say me too, I have this attitude that I have a scarcity mindset. I have a scarcity mindset. I mean, that I don't have enough volunteers. I don't have enough people in the parish who are willing to kind of do the ministry. So therefore I just have to take whoever I can get as opposed to having an abundance mindset where saying, no, this person's not a right fit for one reason or another, you, but I am going to find the people that are the right fit in the parish. It may just take a little bit more time, but that's a very different way of thinking than I, I would argue most of us in the trenches are thinking, you know, it's like we're scarcity. We need, we need people and we need them now. And, and the only prerequisite is that you're breathing. And that's yeah. it. And you come on board. But, but you're saying you're really challenging us. There's so much more that we need to delve in so much more deeper with, with our volunteers and our team and interview them, get to know them, talk about vision, talk about their dreams for ministry. Those are deep, deep searching philosophical questions that we need to be asking in ministry. Yeah. Uh, another way of looking at it um, is how much, where, where, when and how do you want to spend your energy, right? So um, if... If you want to just get going, 
um, you're putting yourself at risk of having so much sideways energy down the road because you recruited people too quickly. You got the wrong people on the team and now all of a sudden you have to do damage control, right? So are you willing to do the, the groundwork and the prep work, which might seem tedious or do you want to do damage control? And, and I think most people would want to go for, uh, the first option. Uh, you know, I, I look at it. So I used to paint houses in, in college and high school. Right. And I had this boss and she was tedious about the prep work. Right. So I would go into a room. Um, I mean, I was the, uh, the last man on. So basically I meant I did all the grunt work from getting coffee to sanding to all this stuff. I hardly ever touched a paintbrush, uh, my first year of painting, uh, houses. And I had to go in and sand and caulk and prime and, you know, uh, spackle and do all those different things, which was so tedious. But then what that allowed her to do is she would come in with the paintbrush and it would take her, you know, a fraction of the time to do, to, to put those coats on. And, and basically afterwards we were done. Now, if I did a poor job in the prep work, if I just rushed and said, okay, Sue, uh, go ahead and paint. Um, she would go in and then there would be a mistake, like something she would have to stop at because she's like, there's a hole in the wall that you didn't you know, cover up. So now we have to patch that up. And if the paint doesn't match and everything like that, then that's not going to be good. And what should have taken less time uh, took more time and it took more energy because we're then becoming more paranoid and attentive to these mistakes and these miscues and things like that. With your ministry, it might seem like you are losing people that you're falling behind by not starting a program, by not going full blast and advertising programs. But the reality of the situation is that you are, you're building a, a ministry on a very rocky structure. You are recruiting people that you do not yet have the trust or the ability to work, you know, work with in these intense situations. And so one small mishap can, can side, sidetrack you. Now, it's not to say you're going to get it perfect. Uh, I don't want people to uh, be under the mindset that, you know, you prepare, you prepare, you prepare, you'll never hit any flaws, but you'll be more equipped to handle those obstacles and overcome those um, hindrances. And, and, and that's a huge part of recruiting people who see the big picture as well as building a sustainable structure. Good. Okay. So, so we just spent a lot of time talking about getting the right people on board in terms of creating a, a holistic and intentional ministry, right? So what's next? What are some of the things that we need to now, how do we take this to the next level now that we got hopefully the right people on board? You got the right people on board. We talked about a sustainable structure, but let's break down that down a little bit further. Um, you know, again, uh, you get the right people on board. You're like, okay, let's go and let's just blast this out. But the reality is we should focus on beta testing. Beta testing is huge. I, I think it's something that's so overlooked in, in the church world. Um, you know, we want to commit and go all out, but instead uh, we, we burn ourselves out. So um, for example, uh, we did alpha this past um, and alpha is a great uh proponent of this, right? Where we took a one group of young adults through the alpha program this past spring with the intentions of doing it again in the fall with, with a new group. Um, but we really kept that narrow. We didn't open it up to anyone else, but this group of uh, 10 young adults. And we went through all the motions, the team that I had in regards to figuring out, you know, food, figuring out atmosphere, environment, logistics, all those different things. And now that we're kind of in this break period, what we're doing is we are um, 
you know, taking time to say, okay, how do we scale this to the next, next phase? So that's an example of beta test is you start with a small controlled group before you launch it. The same thing we did with our middle, uh, our high school and middle school youth ministries. We started with a control group, um, a beta test group that we tested all these things out on. And then we scaled it uh, um, to multiple groups. And then uh, the third go around, we scaled it in time. And now this fall going into um, our, our middle school and high school formation year, uh, we are going uh, – going to go near year round with more groups than before. And that's because our leaders are more uh, acclimated and conditioned to this. Um, the families and the teens in our parish are more acclimated and, and used to it. And, um, and we've worked out a lot of the kinks in regards to that. So beta testing is huge. So this is good because basically what you're saying is you don't need to go crazy and start big. You can start small with a control group and it doesn't need to be open to the entire parish. It's not like we're going to start this ministry and let's put it out there and on the website, on the bulletin, pulpit announcements, social media. You're basically saying start small. It's okay to start small and tweak it and test it and play around with it and see what's going to help it. And then the next time you evaluate, you learn and then you scale it a little bit more. Again, you're not, you're not exploding it to a big level yet, but you're slowly scaling it. See, I think that's really genius. And I, I wish I'd learned that earlier because you, we want everything to be big. We want everything to be open to everybody from the beginning. But realistically, what you're basically saying, that's not how you create a sustainable model. Actually, that's how you burn out, right? And that's how you provide ministry that's not quality that doesn't move people on their spiritual journey developing their spiritual habits am i right. am i, am I no, capsuling that right no you're, you're doing perfect it's perfect i mean you know and, and then i think in those moments where we tweak we have to ask the right questions and so there's three questions that i usually um advise my clients to ask and the first one is um does this meet the vision right so you, say you come up with a great program you come up with a great strategy you launch it um but it's not fulfilling your purpose. It's not yielding the results that you want. Now you can't really figure that out. With the beta test, you, you, you should be able to see some of that, but you know, this is a question you can ask, like you should be asking yourself once, if not twice a year about all your programs. Is this fulfilling our vision, you know, our, our purpose? Is it doing what we're called, called to do? The second question is, uh, is it a competing system? You know, because we might create a program um, but it might be competing for space with another program. It might be competing for resources. Um, it might be competing for volunteers. And if it, if the answer to those things is yes, it is a, a competing system because of resources, space or volunteers or, or something else, then that's where you have to ask yourself the question of, um, can we do this at another time? Or can we do this with less resources or, you know, um, do we need these people? And if the answer is yes to that, then um, you know you have to have these hard conversations with coworkers and, and things along those lines. Or you might have to ask yourself, maybe we need to eliminate these other things that's competing with this, especially if it is a good program um, in that regards. And that can be hard, but again, I, I think it's important. I think that's a really good point. Uh, and, and we encourage our clients at Paris Success Group, we do the exact same thing where we, we have them chart out their, their entire parish and all the ministries that they do, what the audience they serve and, and whatnot. And one of the hard conversations we have is given our goals, given our vision, given what we want to do, 
to be able to accomplish that, what is something that we need to consider dropping because we don't have the time, the energy, the resources to be able to do that? I would argue, Chris, that I think every parish has things that need to be pruned. I think we all have things that need to be pruned that really aren't meet the needs of the parish. And it could be all sorts of things. I, I, I'm not going to come up with an example because I think it's different for each parish, but there's some of the things that we've been doing for a million and a half years um, that maybe aren't working or serving a very small group of people that doesn't really contribute to the wider vision and mission of what we're trying to do. I think all of us have those things. And, and again, we talked about our last, last podcast you know, let's talk about the habits that we want to form at our staff meetings. Well, here's another homework assignment for all of us at our staff meeting. Let's talk about given our vision and goals. What are some of the things that we need to consider pruning? You know, are there things that we're doing that just aren't worthwhile anymore? The answer is yes, most likely. The question is, are we brave enough? Do we have the courage enough to actually name them out loud in front of a group of people? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, right, exactly. Then, and last question, this one I'll, I'll mention here, is uh, does the uh, labor outweigh the fruit? You know, and um, that's hard to answer in the beta phase. Like, it has to be really obvious because I think in the beta phase, you're going to spend more energy, you're going to spend more time, you're going to spend more money, um, you know, investing in a program initially. Um, so know that there is an investment cost. But, you know, from the fruit or the goals that you're trying to reach, um, do like, does the work outlay uh, outweigh the fruit? And if you find yourself just constantly feeling tired and, and on the verge of burnout, it doesn't matter how good the program is. It, it, it might not be worth it, or it might not be worth it for you to be a part of it or to run it. Um, so uh, I think the, that's an important question to answer. So, you know, again, it's recruiting people who see the big picture. It's, it's building a sustainable model. And at the same time, again, it's asking the right questions to make sure that the model that you're, you're building is not only sustainable, but um, it's purposeful as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's key. I think to your last point, I think there's two ways that you can look at it, right? There is, uh, is the program or the ministry effort not worth it because it's too much labor or, so that's one question. The second mm-hmm. question is, do I need to consider, reconsider my leadership structure to make it less labor intensive and more fruitful? And, and, and I think it could be either one of those questions, you know, and so maybe you don't prune that program right away. Uh, and I would argue probably we need to evaluate the structure that makes it labor intensive first before we go and just eliminate the program. Yeah. And there's, you know, this John with the parish success group, there's so many different evaluation systems that you can put together and it's not just you sitting in a room or even you with your staff, but, you know, talking to co-work, uh, talking to, uh, volunteers, talking to parishioners, getting a sense of their idea as well. Um, and really then sitting down saying, okay, is this worth it, uh, to keep, to keep going? Um, you know, and, and, it's amazing because when it comes to building um, holistic and intentional ministry models, I think we stop there, right? We stop at the programmatic. Uh, so much of ministry has become programmatic, uh, small groups, large groups, catech- you know, just different formation um, groups and everything like that. But if we were only to stop there, then we would create a very one-dimensional youth ministry, uh, not just youth ministry, but parish ministries. Because a huge part of... Um, you know, building an intentional and holistic ministry is also uh, the work of advocacy. Um, 
I don't know if this is just my church. I'm saying this very sarcastically, but we hear this a lot in our church where you're doing too much for the young people or you're doing too much for the old people or you're doing too much for families. You're not doing enough for me. Uh, am I alone on that, John? Or I mean, have you heard that before? Oh, never. I have never yeah. heard that before. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> you know, we hear a lot of you're not doing enough for me. And I think it's fair. I think there are some groups who do get, um, who do get left out more than other groups. Um, and that's not what this conversation is about. But what this conversation is about, how do you advocate fairly for people in your parish? And I believe um, the two solutions that I have to that is one, intergenerational ministry. Uh, so we stop creating silos, like instead of having the youth mass, uh, you know, we figure out ways to get teenagers involved in mass, right, in, in the regular liturgy. Um, instead of having, um, you know, the... 55 and older community out here, we figure out a way of saying, okay, these talks, workshops, things we're doing for them, are they open to people of other ages, you know? Uh, so um, intergenerational ministry. And then at the same time, uh, looking at intergenerational leadership. Uh, so there's intergenerational ministry where we're advocating and allowing other people to be a part of these different groups. And that's not to say, you know, it's not, I mean, of course it's appropriate to have, youth ministry, children's ministry, um, family ministry, and things along those lines. But when you have people serving or when you're doing these larger events, who are you excluding and who are you including? Um, intergenerational leadership is looking at your committees, like your parish council, your uh, building committees, your subcommittees for outreach, or um, even family ministry, and asking and answering the question, who's a part of the conversation and who needs to be here who isn't currently here? Who is a part of the conversation and who needs to be here that isn't currently here? Um, and, and so if we want to create this holistic ministry, we again need to make sure that intergenerationally people are involved and engaged. That's good. So the so second question that I want to add to that in terms of you aren't doing enough for me, the question that we sometimes get in parishes is, is, is going back to the culture of the parish, right? And, and the line I use a lot when I do trainings around this particular thing is, uh, you know, is the old JFK line that says, you know, not, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country, right? Same thing with our parishes. If we are forming intentional disciples and we're building these habits, we should start to minimize that type of questioning, Chris. Like, what are you doing for me? Because now as a disciple, it, the question for that individual on their spiritual journey is like, now how do I give to others, right? And so now it's not what can my parish do for me, but what can I do for my parish? And so, and that's a culture shift for us as church too, because I think there's a lot of us who attend mass every day, every week, and are asking the question, what's my church? What's my pastor? What's my DRE? What are they doing for me? Uh, if, if they are intentional disciples and they, they are living out their faith, then they should stop asking that question, quite honestly, right. Uh, right. and should be asking the other question, how do I give? How do I form others in the faith so that you know, they can add to the vibrancy of the parish that they're building their spiritual habits and coming to mass and tithing and volunteering, et cetera. Um, that's a big leap though. I, I would say that's, that's a huge challenge for 
probably the majority of you that are listening to this probably are going to encounter that as an issue uh, in your ministry. I, I mean, it's a challenge for me. Like, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've sat there in the pews and I've heard announcements for something or even with my coworkers. And I'm like, that's so cool what you're doing. But what about for me as a, as a guy or for me as a married man or uh, as a father or, you know, uh, for someone who enjoys what you're putting out there, uh, why can't I have that too? You know, and the answer to that is, of, of course you can have that. It just might not be available. It just might not be logistically possible, or it might be the fact that you need to step up and lead that. There you go. And, and, and so um, I think that's where if we don't see it, you know, it's, it's, it, it's like with anything, if we see something unjust, wrong, off balance, whatever, we can't wait for other people to fix that. We have to go around and address that ourselves. And so um, that can be, that can be a bit of a challenge to do that uh, because we have to overcome our own pride our own selfishness in that regards, but it's important. Um, but the other part about advocacy too is, you know, if people who are listening to this, think about your own ministry. How is your ministry represented in other areas of the church? Now, this comes back to kind of the same point we we're just talking about. You could wait on the pastor. You could wait on those other coworkers to invite you or encourage you to be a part of that, or you yourself could step up. So what I mean by that is I want people in children's ministry, I want young families to be aware of youth ministry. So what that means is on Sunday mornings when kids and their parents are checking into the children's faith formation program, I'm going to be there at the front door because I want parents to feel comfortable with me because I know in a couple of years, their kids are going to be in my programs and I want them to have that kind of connection. Um, I know that at our parishes, 55 and older community, they do these lunch and learns in the middle of the day, right? Um, because that's where most retirees and, and, and um, people of that age are, are uh, available. I'm going to come down, even if it's just to grab lunch or just greet people at the door, I'm going to be there because I want older people in our parish to feel comfortable with me. I want to be able to dispel and debunk any kind of rumors or myths out there. I tell older people in our congregation the same thing about getting involved in youth ministry or children's ministry. If they want young people to respect them, if they want young people to um, be aware of who they are, then they need to also get involved in their lives. Now, we should be reverent and honorable to those who uh, have come before us, to people who are older than us. But I think at the same time, you got to meet us, you know, a bit of the way too and, and get involved in that regard. So look at your ministry and figure out how do I advocate for what I do in other areas of church ministry. That's excellent. I, I can't wait to delve into part three here uh, next week in our episode here. So, Chris, this has been incredible. And, and I hope that the, the diocese in New York really found this valuable because I'm finding this extremely valuable. So those of you listening, I hope you get a chance to really kind of delve into this and listen to this and, and figure out strategically, how do you go about implementing the, some of the things that we brought up here? And maybe a little different for you. Right. Um, but again, I would highly encourage if, if, if there's something that we said uh, that's intriguing you or you got some questions or you want some feedback about something that you're doing, 
uh, email us. Let us know. Uh, reach out to us. So, you know, I'm, I'm, Chris is going to share with us social media, but but also we have email as well. Questions mm-hmm. at thechurchpodcast.org. Let us know. We'd be happy to to help out and have some conversation around that uh, because this is what we're here to do. Uh, Chris and I both really thrive on this opportunity to, to serve the church in this particular role that we have using our gifts. So let us know uh, if there's specific questions that you have around these. You know, don't hesitate to reach out to us and let's start a dialogue around it. Yeah, I mean, the reason we have this podcast, uh, it represents b- both organizations that we're a part of with Parish Success Group and Marathon Youth Ministry. It's it's not just to talk about things that are theoretical, but things that are practical, things that we've helped churches do, things that we've lived out. And uh, so please do not hesitate to reach out to us. Again, questions at thechurchpodcast.org or go to our website, thechurchpodcast.org and uh you know, uh, leave us a comment uh, or leave us a review on iTunes to help, help us improve this podcast, help us uh, to learn about what are the things that you want to uh, talk about or learn more about as well. You can reach out to John on social media, John Ronaldo, or at his website, johnronaldo.com. You can reach me on social media at Marathon Youth Ministry or marathonyouthministry.com. Uh, but again, we're just so thankful that you guys are along for the journey. And uh, yeah, be sure to check into the next episode where we talk about overcoming some of those obstacles that we talked about today and last session. So John, with that, would you close us out in prayer? I would love to. All right. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, God, for uh, another episode here of, uh, of the church podcast as we continue to, to serve and hopefully add value to all of those who are listening to us right now. Lord, we just ask you to continue to bless all of our ministries, the work that we do. Remind us, continually remind us that this is all about you uh, and, and that we are much like John the Baptist in the role that we are in, that we are pointing the way to Jesus uh, and, and pointing, our, our, pointing the way to you, Lord. So help us continue to be that path, that voice, uh, crying out in the wilderness towards you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.